Why don't you get your Bibles and you can turn or click with me to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15. Um, and I'm going to conclude a series that we actually began uh, several, several weeks ago. It's a series that I've talked about how close it is to my heart because it's part of my story. It's part of the process or the road that I've walked as God has led me. And that series is called Freeing Me. And we've talked about how we can become our best self so that we can live our best life. We will never live the life that God has for us until we become the person God has created us to be. So it's in the becoming. God made human beings, not human doings. It's actually when I become the person that God has created me to be, I step into the life that God has called me to. And we've talked about a lot of different uh, topics and a lot of different ideas. If you've missed any of that, they're all available on the website. You may need to go back and refresh some of those in your own heart and your own spirit. Um, but today I, I'm concluding that series, but I'm concluding it with probably the most important message of the whole series. And a lot of times I do that. Most people always think the, the most important message is at the beginning of the series, and sometimes it is. But in this series, it's really the most important message is actually today's message because it is in today's message that I'm going to teach you how to live a lifestyle of freedom. I'm going to teach you how to live a life where you're stepping in to the freedom that God has for you, how to live a lifestyle of overcoming some of the obstacles that the enemy puts in our path um, that keep us from being the people that God has created us to be. I want to remind you um, that I've talked about this in the process, but that freedom, becoming the person that God has created us to be, becoming the person that God has redeemed us to be, freedom is a process. It's not something that happens instantaneously. We, we did talk uh, last week about uh, deliverance, and we talked about overcoming the work of the enemy and how we have authority over the work of the enemy against our lives. In fact, we, we actually talked about demons last week, and so if you missed that, you may want to go back and listen to it. Um, and this week, I, I, I just kind of want to give you what I think is the secret sauce. And so it's, it's kind of the secret sauce. It's, it's a way that you live. I'm going to use uh, Luke chapter 15 as, um, as a backdrop. Luke chapter 15, uh, specifically the parable of the prodigal son uh, as a backdrop. And, and like I said, I want to remind you that this is a process that we walk and that there is deliverance like we talked about last week, but there's also discipleship. And when it comes to discipleship, there are three ingredients uh, in growing, always these three ingredients that we talked about when I did the message on uh, the process of progress, and that was grace plus truth over time. Grace plus truth over time. In other words, I just this is something I walk out with the Holy Spirit, and I just want to, I, I kind of want to say something uh, for shock value, uh, but because I like to do that, I'm not going to cuss. So if you're already getting nervous. Um, <laughs> But I want to say something because sometimes you need to shake the, the religion off people. And so I want to say something so that our time together will be productive. And what I want to say to you, I don't want it to offend you, but I want it to stir you. And that is this. You're screwed up. And whenever you come to that truth, freedom begins, Right. And I think sometimes we go to church, no, I'm not screwed up. I'm a Christian. And yes, Christians are screwed up. I'm your pastor. I'm screwed up. The only difference between me and you is I know it. (laughs) 
But I think sometimes we sit in this like, oh, I don't need freedom, or oh, I'm doing good, or oh, everything's all right, and, and no, I'm, I'm totally good. No, no, no. The only person who has never, ever needed any type of freedom ministry in his life was Jesus, and unfortunately, you are not him. Because every person has lived a life in a fallen world with an enemy that is set on destroying your soul. And we've all encountered things and been through things. And whether we like it or not, the enemy has worked in those things to shape how we think, to shape the way we see things. And now as we come to this place in our lives, I can assure you that every person in here has some things God wants to lead you in to overcome so that you can be the person that God's created you to be. I hate to tell you this. You're not there yet. But let me also tell you this. If you'll follow God, he'll get you there. And so I just want to say you're screwed up, but it's okay because everybody around you is too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Good news this morning. I learned at church on Father's Day. I learned I was screwed up. <laughs> Praise God. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And it goes something like this. There was a father. He had two sons. The younger son give me, said, give me my inheritance. He divided to them his livelihood, the Bible says, and then the younger son leaves and he goes and he wastes all of his money. Uh, and then there's a famine and he ends up in a pig pen uh, feeding pigs. And it says he would have uh, eaten the pig slop if someone would have just let him have some. And then there's a turning point and we'll get to that in just a moment. But I want to use that as the backdrop and I want to give you four R's. And, and what I'm presenting to you today is not actually a message per se. It's, it's more of um, a lifestyle that you live if you want to continue to walk in freedom. That, you know, freedom is sometimes like the layers of an onion. That I've found this in my own life that, you know, God usually deals with the most critical layer. And, and then once you kind of get past that, God has something else that He wants to deal with you. I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been pursuing freedom for 10, 11 years, something like that. Um, and I can tell you today that I have a list of things that I'm working on, that God is working with me, some healing. I mean, I'm in a leadership group where I'm working on things. I'm also in another group that's just aimed at the healing of my own soul through some things. And, and, um, and so I'm just working through this just like you, um, or like I hope that you are. And so I want to give you, uh, just kind of the way that you can live to live in freedom. So I'll give you four R's. The first one is this recognize recognize. And here's what I mean by that. You need to recognize there's a problem, right? F freedom can't begin till you, till you recognize that there's a problem. In fact, in Luke chapter 15, verse 17, it's talking about the younger son. It says, but when he came to himself, to me, this is where the freedom journey begins. It's when I come to myself and I recognize that where I am is not where God created me to be. When I recognize that I'm in a pig pen and that's not where God wants me to be. And so it said, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I think this, I think the secret to freedom is recognizing that you have a problem that you are responsible to fix. I think this is where you have to begin because as long as you have a problem that someone else is responsible to fix, you can't get there. I've had many problems that other people were responsible to fix. And you know what? I had those problems a long time. But freedom is where I say, hey, I've got a problem. This is where my journey began for me uh, probably 11, 12 years ago. I've told you the story. I just kind of crashed. 
And when I crashed, I lived in an aisle and said, no, this is everybody else's fault. There's nothing here I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm a great person. I've got everything together, whatever the case may be. And when I finally crashed, here's what I said. I've got a problem that I need to be responsible for. Because it's only when I'm responsible for the problem that I have authority over the problem. And so I had to recognize that there's, there's a problem that I need to take responsibility for. In other words, I came to this conclusion, something's not right. It says he came to himself. Here's what he said. Something, something's not right. You know, everybody doesn't live in a pig pen. You know, you can live in a pig pen as long as you want to live in a pig pen. You can live in a pig pen as long as you think living in a pig pen is normal. But he came to himself and he said, hey, hey, something, something isn't right. And let me tell you the measuring stick that I use when I decide something's not right. I say, am I living less than what I feel like God has given me? Do I have less than what I feel like God wants for me? Am I living less than, in other words, hey, I don't think God wants me to be depressed. I've dealt with depression. It's not fun. I don't think God wants me to be. I don't think God wants me to live in anger. I don't think God wants me to live in power. In other words, am I living less than what I feel like the Bible, the Holy Spirit, God, whoever? Am I living less, less than what, they, that, what God actually wants for me? And can I give you a secret? I'm going to give you a secret. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be, most of the time we think the difference between where we are and where God wants us to be is the work that God hasn't done yet. Let me help you. The difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the work you haven't done yet. People are saying, I want to prosper and I'm just waiting for God to pour out his financial blessings. God is waiting for you to cut up your credit card. Most of the time, isn't it true? Most of the time. See, but now I've got a problem that I'm asking God to be responsible for. And freedom comes when I recognize I have a problem and I have a responsibility as well as the problem. And, and I have to learn to recognize symptoms. And there are lots of sim- symptoms. There, there's depression. There's anxiety. There's fear. There, there's anger. There's uh, habitual sin. We've talked about some of the symptoms. But I, can I tell you what the best thing is to learn to recognize that I've found? You learn to recognize the patterns. You learn to recognize the patterns. In my life, I've found patterns that I had to learn to recognize. You know why? Because my thoughts to me seem normal. Have you ever noticed that? That your thoughts seem normal until you tell someone what you're thinking and they're like, bro. (laughs) And I found my thoughts to me seem normal. Like they seem like normal thoughts. Right? And so sometimes because my thoughts are the way I've always thought, seem normal, I can't actually find the wrong thought processes. But here's what I know. Anytime you have a wrong thought process, you have a wrong pattern. And sometimes behavioral patterns are easy to see, easier to see than thought processes. But anytime there's a behavioral pattern, there's a, there's a thought process that is driving it. So I've got to learn to recognize patterns. You know, one, one of the most... Um, Successful tools I've, I've found to find the patterns in my life is listening to myself. You'd be amazed at what you could learn from yourself if you would listen to yourself. And, and I'll give you two key words to look for when you're looking for stuff. Always and never. 
People always treat me this way. The boss I had at my last job treated me this way, and that's why I left there and came here, and now this boss is treating me this way. Let me help you. There is a common denominator, and it's you. Well, people never do this for me, and I've never had that. And Well, we're Smiths, so this always happens. And so when I'm trying to find patterns that really are going to point back to thought processes, then I have to start looking for some things that I say that if I really think about what I say and I really compare them to the truth of God's word, this is why I think it's so important to have the Holy Spirit and a life group. Because sometimes the Holy Spirit's been talking to you a long time and you've been able to hear him. But then you'll say something in a life group and somebody pull you aside and say, hey, can we talk about what you just said? Because I know it made sense to you, but when you said it, everybody in the life group, so many times Julie and I would sit in uh, freedom ministry or counseling with, with people, and we used to do a lot more than we can do it today. But it's always interesting because eventually something's going to be said, and we're going to pick up on it, but they're not because it seems normal to them, and we'll say, oh, <laughs> there's the problem. We found the problem. And then we're going to lead that person to find the problem. So I have to recognize that there's a problem that I have responsibility to do something about. Here's the second thing. I have to repent. Luke 15, 18, the prodigal son said, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm going to repent. Now, I think that one of the problems that we have in church, and, and by the way, in one of the messages, I think it was Christian Concarni, I talked about repentance, and, and I'm not going to cover all of that again because I could not. But let me just say this. I think in church sometimes when I grew up, people said repent means to turn from your sin. To turn from your sin. Well, that's good until I've turned from my sin and I'm still screwed up. Because the problem with that definition is it makes repentance a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Well, I'm just going to turn from my sin. But I know a lot of believers who have turned from their sin, and they're still stuck. They're still in bondage. I know what it's like to turn from my sin and still be in bondage. I worked for a pastor one time who had been an alcoholic. He wasn't drinking anymore, but he was still an alcoholic. He acted just like an alcoholic. He just wasn't drunk. He had turned from his sin... But there had not been repentance because the word repentance means to change your mind. In fact, there are two words in the Greek that your Bible translates repentance. One, the most commonly one talk, the most common one talked about is metanoia. It means to change your mind. Um, Jesus uses a slightly different word that I'm not going to be able to say right because I'm not Greek. Two reasons. I'm not Greek. I can't even speak English. I speak East Texan it's a dialect of, it's a slaughtered dialect of English. <laughs> so the chances of me getting a Greek word right, not very good. <laughs> but Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he uses, the other word is metanoia. He uses a word that's metanoio, metanoio. And it means literally, it's a little bit deeper. It means to change your life by changing the way you think. And that's really what, to me, the process of discipleship is, which to me, freedom ministry and discipleship are very much the same thing because both are aimed at me becoming the person that God created and redeemed me to be. In other words, me being who got following Jesus 
And, and here's what Jesus said. I want you to change your life by changing the way you think. Can I tell you, that's the only way to change your life. And, and the prodigal son changed the way he thought. Uh, yes, you, you have to change the way you think about sin. That, that's true. But most believers have decided sin's not good. You know, when you finally get to that conclusion that, hey, this seems good, but it's going to get me to the same dead end over and over again, all of a sudden I'm ready to change my mind about that. But the, the prodigal son changed his mind really about two people. He changed his mind about himself, and he changed his mind about his father. And this is freedom ministry. This is what we do, because the first thing the prodigal son, see, he thought everything was good. He thought he was a good guy. He thought he had it all together. And then he came to himself and he said, I am in a pig pen and I'm wanting to eat the pig slop. And this doesn't seem to be the way everybody else is living. And so here's what he said. I've got a problem that I can't solve. I've got a problem that by myself I cannot solve. And he changed the, the, changed the way that he thought about him. Hey, I've got an issue and I need help. And then he changed the way he thought about the father because I, in my opinion, using my holy imagination, I believe that he left home because he believed that the way he wanted to live that was good for him, he couldn't live that way at home with the father. So he had to get away from the father so he could finally live the way he wanted to live, which he presumed would be better for him. And when he came to himself, he said, hey, the people at dad's house are doing a lot better than me. Maybe the secret to living the life that I'm really supposed to live is not in being away from the father, but being in the presence of the father. And so he changed his mind. He changed his mind where he had saw the father wasn't good in that he was restraining his life. Now he saw that the father was good in the way that he treated even his servants. And so he changed the way he thought about himself and he changed the way he thought about the father. See, repentance is the process of abandoning the thought patterns that keep us in bondage and receiving God's truth in a way that, that changes the way that I think. See, repentance really is a lifestyle. It happens every day for believers because it's a constant way of abandoning the lies that I believed and the ways that I've thought and receiving God's truth and allowing him to help me think a different way. See, repentance is not putting in new content. I think God cares more about the way that you think than what you think about. Because what you think about is because of the way that you think. Paul in Romans 12 says, hey, the secret to being transformed is renewing your mind. He didn't say putting new stuff in to think about. He said, no, it's about changing the way your mind works. Because the patterns and the brokenness and the bondage in our life are usually tied to the way that I'm thinking about something. And so if I'm going to live free, I have to recognize what I have responsibility for. And I have to repent. Here's the third thing. I have to renounce. By this, I mean renounce the lies of the enemy. Renounce the lies. Now, the, the older, I'm sorry, the younger son, we don't, we don't know for sure what the lie was that he believed. And we don't know that because the, the text doesn't really tell us. We can use our holy imagination, I think, and derive that he had believed some kind of lie that said, hey, in order for me to live the life I want to live, I got to get away from the father. 
right? You know, God only limits things that he knows will kill you. Believe it or not, God's not the fun police. And he's not trying to take all the fun away. He's trying to take all the death away. When you have little babies and you have a swimming pool, you put a fence around it. Why? Not because you're trying to keep them from having fun. You're trying to keep them from dying. God puts fences around things that will kill you. And so... Unfortunately, the younger son, I think, believed God was, or the father was the fun police. Well, he's not going to let me live my life and have my fun, and so I got to get away from him. I think that was the lie that he believed. But believe it or not, there are two sons in this passage, and both of them are in bondage. It's just with the older son, he was a church person, so it's harder to see. But we actually, we actually have the lies that he believed. They're in the text. In fact, I'll read them. Luke fifteen twenty five. It says, "Now when his older brother was now the older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called to a servant and said, Hey, what's going on?'" Verse twenty seven. And the servant said, your brother's come home, and because your father's received him safe and sound, uh, he's killed the fatted calf. Now we know this was somewhere in Texas because there's a barbecue involved. <laughs> it says, but he was angry. Well, there's a symptom. He was angry, and he wouldn't go in. It says, therefore, the father came out and pleaded with him. Now, remember the words that I said that we could listen for that would tip us off that there might be going some, something going on? So he answered and said, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I could make merry with my friends. Now, I'm going to ask a question. If you're a parent, meaning you have a child, in this room, I'd just like to take a quick inventory. How many of you, you would say, I have a child who has never disobeyed, not even one time. Anybody? So how likely do you think it is that this older son had never transgressed his father's commandment at any time? Anybody think there's a chance of that even being true? No, no. We call that denial. (laughs) That's what we call it. And so... Here's, here's how we know, <laughs> here's how we know that, and, and we can prove that he's lying because at the time his father has come out and said, go into the celebration and he's saying, no. And then he turns right around and said, I've never disobeyed you. <laughs> here's the second thing. He said, you never gave me a goat. Now, I don't know. I don't understand the big thing about a goat. I'd rather have a cow, more of a barbecue guy. Good hamburger steak would do well. I don't eat a lot of goat personally. But he said, you never gave me a goat. Now, now I want to read a scripture, um, Luke 15, 11. This is in the beginning, but it says, Then he said, Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good that falls to me. Watch this. So he divided to them. You never gave me a goat. You know what his father's thinking? 
because he's the older son. And so in their culture, the older son got twice the inheritance of the younger son. He's thinking, never gave you a go. I gave you two thirds of the company. The younger son got one third. You got twice as much as him. You're the older son. Never gave you a goat. I gave you two out of every three goats that I have. Then his father says something that has perplexed me at times, but I think I've got it figured out now. He says, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. Now, the reason that struck me is because I would think since the father represents God, it would be I am always with you. But he didn't say that. He said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. Here's what he's saying. It's your relationship and position to me that determines what you get from me. I'm always going to be with you. The question is, are you going to be with me? And what you know what he's telling the younger son? You were at home, but you weren't with me. Let me say it differently. You were in church, but you were in bondage. And because you weren't with me, you couldn't receive what I had for you. See, the older brother, I, here's a stronghold, and, and I think it's evidenced by these two lies because he's saying, I never disobeyed, yet you never gave me a goat. Here's what he believed. He believed that his relationship with his father and the subsequent blessings of that relationship were dependent on his performance for his father, which is a religious bondage, by the way, that I think that my relationship with God depends on me and the blessings that God brings in my life depends on me. Now, I have a part. There's places I take responsibility. But see, that's not, that's not grace. That's legalism. Grace says my relationship with God depends on Jesus that he's the mediator of my covenant with him. And I don't have a relationship with God because I performed well. I have a relationship with God because Jesus performed well. So he had a religious um, bondage. He had a, we say this way, church word, he had a stronghold. Now I want to talk about strongholds. I want you to understand what they are and how they're formed. And at the end of this service, if you want to participate, I'm going to walk you through breaking a stronghold. And all weekend we've seen people get free. And there's no tricks. We don't have snakes or tambourines. There's nothing like that. We're just going to trust the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask some questions. God's going to talk to you, and it's going to change everything. If you think, I don't believe it, just stick around another 10 minutes. But I want you to understand strongholds and, and how they're formed. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. I like this because it reminds me that I'm in, I'm in charge of what I think. It's my responsibility to decide what I'm going to think. But, but if I take this backwards, it tells me that there's a thought that if I don't take captive, will become an opinion that will become an argument that will become a stronghold. You know, when the Bible talks about the fiery darts of the enemy, you know what those are, right? They're thoughts. 
They're just not true thoughts. But if I take one of those thoughts, then I'll form an opinion. It says a lofty opinion because it's an opinion I begin to raise above the knowledge of God. And if I believe that opinion long enough, I'll argue it. I'll say this is now truth, and it becomes a stronghold. What's a stronghold? It's a fortified way of thinking that goes against the truth of God. In other words, it's a way of thinking that, that is contrary to God's truth that I will defend. I've had people argue with me that God doesn't love them. That, and, and I can read a scripture, yeah, but. And it's interesting because you, I just hit the stronghold and they are defending that false belief that's built on false truth. So it's not really truth. It's built on a lie and they're defending it because it's become a stronghold to them. So let me tell you how strongholds are formed. It's pretty, pretty simple yet very complex. Here's how strongholds form. First of all, something happens. And I could say it this way. Something happens or something doesn't happen, and the result of that is painful. So it can be an event that happens that's painful, or it can be something that I needed to happen or needed from people or, or desired, and it didn't happen, and that was painful. In other words, somebody let me down, and that hurt. But it's an event that happened that hurt and when that happens, the enemy of your soul, the Bible or Jesus calls him the father of lies, he comes in to help you understand why that happened. And he can only speak lies. And so he is going to help you through his commentary and assessment that is full of lies. He's going to help you assign a meaning to that pain. And then it becomes the lie I choose or the lie I inherit. Remember, we're the Smiths. This, everybody, every Smith has gotten a divorce as long as I remember. That's just the way it is in my life. He's going to help you assign an understanding. And here's what that lie is going to be aimed at. It's going to be aimed at something about you and something about God. In other words, he's going to want you to believe a lie about you or a lie about God because of what happened. I remember uh, Julie and I were talking with a lady one time, and a uh, sweet lady. And what started coming out was, and I think she said it, it's been a long time ago, but she said something like, I know I was abused because I'm a woman. It was something like that. And when she said that, of course, Julie and I looked at each other because we had just found the lie. Now, the truth of it was she had been abused and she had been abused by the men in her life or the men around her. But she had believed that women are weak because she was abused and that she was abused because it was an attack on her femininity. And we started walking her through freedom until God brought her to the place to understand that had she been a male, she may have still been abused, but maybe she wouldn't have been strong enough to take it on the way she had taken it on. That being female is not what made her weak, and being female wasn't what made her abused. She was abused because the men around her were sick. And then she began to remember, because she thought God didn't care and God wasn't there, 
And then she began to remember when things were about to get really bad, a neighbor would come or an aunt would come and someone would come and get her out of the situation. And she realized God was sending lifeline after lifeline to rescue her as much as he could because God can't control other people. And it just reshaped the way she thought about herself and about God. But something very painful had happened and the father of lies had shown up to make sure that she believed a lie about herself and she believed a lie about God. And so there's an event and then there's a lie and then there's a defense. Because I don't know about you, I'm allergic to pain. Does anybody else feel my pain when I say I'm allergic to pain? You know, I I marvel because I'm married to a very strong woman and I just marvel at how well she can do with pain. And I admire that. But when I'm in pain, I think if two aspirin would help, four would do a miracle. (laughs) But there's an event and a lie. And then there's a defense that that we build up. And, And there's a lot of different offenses. And I'll share with you in just a minute my part of my story. But um, first of all, we, we do the, the defense of emotional insulation or emotional isolation. This was mine. I'm not going to be hurt. So the way I'm not going to be hurt, I'm going to stay in my cave. I'm not going to come out of my cave because if I come out of my cave and try to connect with you, you may reject me. And so since I don't want to be rejected, if I stay in the cave, it's not hurtful for me. Um, there's also intellectualization. That's where excessive reasoning to avoid emotional pain. Blame, deflecting responsibility to others. Uh, control. I'm going to take inappropriate responsibility for someone else to try to mitigate my pain. I'm going to control the way they act so that I don't feel pain, which obviously never works. Preemptive rejection. I'm going to sabotage relationships by rejecting you before you can reject me. Because rejection is painful. I can tell you that uh, when I was a child, I was, I was very healthy. I was healthy enough for four or five children. <laughs> and, uh, you know, kids are kids. And kids, especially boys, need to feel good about themselves. And the way you feel good about themselves is you uh, put other people down. And so I'd gone through some events that were hurtful for me. And, and I believed this lie that people didn't like me. If they got to know me, they wouldn't like me. And that people just didn't like me. Now, the truth was, if you went back to my school or if you went to one of my reunions... Most everybody liked me. But it's not about what the truth is. It's about what I believe. And so I believe that people just didn't like me. If they got to know me, they were going to reject me. So there was an event, and then there was a lie. And the lie was God didn't give me what he gave everybody else. And if they got to know me, they're going to eventually reject me. So I I developed this thing called emotional isolation or insulation, where I'm just not, I'm going to, I'm going to be guarded. I'm going to stand back and kind of put my front in and put my wall in. But you know what happens when you do that? People react to that. See, that's the fourth thing. So there's an event, there's a lie, there's a defense mechanism. By the way, a defense mechanism is where I become my own source. I'm the source of my protection. Right? And so I'm going to I'm going to insulate and isolate so that I don't feel pain. Well, here's the problem. When, when you try to go through life with your walls up and making sure that no one gets close to you, they don't invite you to their birthday party. But then the way I interpreted that was, see, I'm always rejected. I'm always left out. 
And then the cycle just continues, right? Until you get in a place where God starts unraveling the lie and talking about some of the events that happened in your life and bringing truth. And that's what I want to do. So, so how's a stronghold form? Well, there's an event and then there's a lie and then there's a reaction. I'm sorry. And then there's a defense and then there's a reaction. There's an event, a lie, a defense where I become my own source, try to mitigate my own pain. And then there's a reaction that just supports the lie I believed. Now, how do I break that? Well, it's pretty simple, really, but it, it takes reliance on the Holy Spirit because here's the thing. Most of the time, remember, I can't always see where I'm in bondage. I can't always see my own thought patterns. I can't always find that self. But that's why God has given us this person of the Holy Spirit who, who leads us into truth and knows how to search our souls. Are you with me? And so here's what we do in Freedom Ministry. We do this all the time, and we're going to do it at the end of the service if you want to participate. But we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, hey, is there an event in my life you want to talk to me about? And you'd be amazed at what would shoot into your mind that you didn't think was still affecting you. I remember the first time I went for Freedom Ministry right after I crashed, I felt like the, the Holy Spirit was in the car with me as I was driving and he said, when you get there, I want you to talk about these things. And I said, I've never talked to anybody about these things. He said, that's the point. These are the things I'm trying to deal with. These were things that were years and years in my past. And it would be things I was saying, that's not affecting me, Lord. That was 20 years ago. And the Holy Spirit saying, hello. This was where you started the wrong way of thinking. And so we asked the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me about? And then we asked the Holy Spirit, what was the lie I believed? What was the lie I believed about me? What was the lie I believed about God? And we asked the Holy Spirit, what, how did I become my own source? What, what was the defense mechanism that I put into play that caused me to get the same reaction over and over and over again? And then we're going to repent. We're going to repent for the lies that we believed. Now, does repent mean we've sinned? No, repent means we've thought the wrong way. See, don't be condemned. Don't let the enemy bring condemnation into your heart. You just thought the wrong way. That's not necessarily sin. So we're going to repent. Hey, I thought the wrong thing. I thought the wrong thing. And I became my own source. It was how I survived, but it wasn't your best. And then we're going to ask the fun questions. God, what's the truth that you want me to know about you? What's the truth that you want me to know about you? What's the truth that you want me to know about me? This is how you renounce the lie of the enemy. So we have to recognize, we have to repent, we have to renounce. Here's the last thing we have to receive. We have to receive. Luke 15, 22, it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and bring the ring and put it on his hand, and bring the sandals uh, for his feet. In other words, he gives him three gifts. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the prodigal son earn any of these gifts? Did he deserve any of these gifts? What did he do to get these gifts? He just chose not to stay in the pig pen. Isn't that interesting? But I think these three gifts, if you're going to live in freedom, are the three most important things that you receive from God. Number one is the robe. It is the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me 
with the robe of righteousness. If I'm going to live in freedom, I've got to understand righteousness or my relationship with God or a, a relationship with God is not a goal that I achieve, but according to Romans 5, it is a gift that I receive. Righteousness or a right relationship with God is something I receive, not something I achieve. It's not what I earn. It is a gift. If it is a gift, I do not earn it. Did the prodigal son earn righteousness? But did he receive it? Yes. If I'm going to live in freedom, then I've got to understand that righteousness is a gift, that my performance doesn't change my relationship with God because freedom is going to come by my relationship with God. And if I think every time I screw up, God leaves me, then I'm never going to live in freedom. What do you say? You were always with me. How can I always be with him? Because Jesus paid. He paid so I can always be with him, even when my, I mess up, even on my worst day. And if I think that, that God leaves me every time I make a mistake, then I'm going to hide me and I'm going to hide what's going on with me. And then we can never be free. But can I help you with something? This really helped me. God loves you. God, listen, God knows you're jacked up. He's known it longer than you. And he's been loving on you anyway. And he's not going to leave you because you finally come to the same conclusion as he that you need some help in some things. And so he received the, the robe of righteousness. Here's the second thing. He received the ring of authority. That's what a ring represents, authority. When Joseph became the second highest in all the land of Egypt, Pharaoh gave him his ring. It was the ring of his authority. If I'm going to live in freedom, I need to understand because of my relationship with God, I have authority. Luke 10 says I have authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy so that nothing can harm me. If I'm going to live in freedom, I need to know that I have authority over two things. We talked about one last week. The other one we've talked about all throughout this series. The first thing is I have authority over the power of the enemy. That's deliverance. I have authority over all the power of the enemy. That's deliverance. Satan does not have the right to jack with me. I have authority over all the power of the enemy. That's deliverance. Here's the second thing. I have authority over myself. That's discipleship. When we're talking about freedom, there's two parts, deliverance and discipleship. Remember we talked about this last week? Some people think that everything that happens is a demon and you're just always chasing demons. It is true. Sometimes we need deliverance, but there's another process called discipleship. And sometimes it's what we're teaching today, repentance, renouncing the lies of the enemy and moving forward with God. And so I need to understand I have authority over all the power of the enemy. That's deliverance. But I have authority over myself. That's discipleship. Luke 21, 19, Jesus said, by patience, or you could say by your endurance, possess, that word means take control of your own souls. Here's what he's saying. Take authority over you. We love the fruit of the Spirit. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is self-control? God will not control you, but he will give you the power to control yourself. And so I've got to take authority over the enemy, but I've got to take authority over my own soul. 
I've got to choose to take a next step. I've got to choose to be in a life group. I've got to choose to deal with some things. I've got to choose to be honest with myself and be honest with God. I've got to choose to enter into a process of free. I have to take authority over my own soul. I have to capture my own thoughts. Take authority over your own soul. Here's the last thing he gave him, shoes. What are the shoes? Shoes of power. What's the power? Power to be a son. To as many as believed in him, he gave them the right, gave them the power to become children of God. What's the shoes? This, let me help you. The shoes aren't a thing. They're a person. Romans 8.15 says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage that makes you a fearful slave or makes you fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. His spirit bears witness with your spirit. Your sons in God and sons and heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. See, one of the things the church has got wrong, we think the Holy Spirit's a doctrine. <laughs> no, he's a person. And his primary objective is to lead you into adoption. Let me say another way. His primary objective is to lead you into being a son of God. See, in, in this culture, slaves would not have shoes, but sons would have shoes. So when the father said, hey, get him some shoes, he's saying, hey, he's not a slave. Now, why did the prodigal son, remember, he came back saying, I'm going to go back and be a slave. And when he got there, the father said, you're not going to be a slave. You're my son. Somebody get this boy some shoes. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people in the church. God's been trying to convince you to put some shoes on for a long time. Did he deserve the shoes? But by grace, did his father give him shoes? Did he deserve authority? But by grace, did his father give him a ring? Did he deserve righteousness? But, but by grace, did his father give him a robe of righteousness? Listen, if I'm going to live in freedom, this is how it works. This is how it works. I recognize what needs to change that I can change. What I need to take responsibility for. I repent I change the way I think about myself and I change the way I think about God. I renounce the lies of the enemy that I believed and I receive from the Father. What do I see? Righteousness, authority, and power. I receive righteousness, authority. Listen, this is how you live free. It, it's just, listen, when you get free, you just start at the, start at the beginning again. Because remember, freedom is like layers of an onion. And so today you can go to God and you say, what do I need to recognize that I need to take responsibility for? He'll say, well, here it is. And you say, I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent about what I believed. I'm going to repent about what I've been thinking. I'm going to renounce the lies of the enemy. And I'm going to receive righteousness, authority, and power by the Holy Spirit. And then God's going to throw you a party because you got more free. And then Monday's going to happen and God's going to say, here's what we can work on now. Because you, got, because you graduated from that level, we get to try something new. And then you say, oh my God, I recognize this. I see that I need to do something. I repent for the way that I've been living. I repent for the way that I've been thinking that was contrary to your truth. And God, I renounce the lie of the enemy and I receive. And what do I receive? Righteousness. And I receive power and I receive authority. And then God throws you another party because you got more free. And then Monday comes and you say, what are we going to work on now? This is how you live in freedom. You never stop doing this. <laughs> Man. 
Amen. Freedom is not the absence of bondage. Freedom's the presence of a person where the Spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. Do you see that? So the moment I get him involved in the areas of my life where maybe he hadn't been able to be involved because I just didn't even know, it's not the absence of the bondage, it's the presence of a person where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I I want you to stand. And I'm going to walk you through if you want to participate. And if you don't want to participate, that's fine. But I'm going to walk you through identifying and breaking a stronghold. And it's, it's really, I think like most things, it's simpler than we make it. All my life, I'll tell you this, and you kind of know my story, but <clears throat> all my life, people preached on strongholds and nobody ever taught me how to identify one or break one. Everybody talk about strongholds. Everybody talk about the yoke being destroyed because of the anointing. But nobody taught me how to identify the yoke or how to deal with it. What I want to do this morning is I want to teach you. Pretty simple, really. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you into this, but we're going to bow our heads and I'm going to pray for us. There's no, no tricks. No. I'm just going to pray for us. And then I'm going to ask some questions. And if you want to participate, God's going to answer you when I ask a question. And everybody's going to get a different answer. And so, God, we ask now that your Holy Spirit, who is present in this room, become very real. God, that our ears become very attentive only to the voice of your Holy Spirit. God, I take authority over all the work of the enemy, all the lie of the enemy. God, that would war against the people in this room. And I cancel every assignment of the enemy right now against the people in this room. And I command and take authority over all the power of the enemy. I command you to stop in Jesus' name and to go. God, I bind fear and I bind pride and I bind shame. In the name of Jesus. With your heads bowed, I'm going to ask some questions, and then we're going to keep our heads bowed out of respect for everyone, but there'll be times I'll ask you to lift your hand if God's speaking to you. That's just to help me know when to move on. So with your heads bowed, I just want you to focus on the Lord. You don't really have to focus on me at all. Just focus on the Lord. Focus on Jesus. Open your heart to him. He's safe. I'm going to ask some questions. And the first one is this. Holy Spirit, what is the event that you want to speak to me about today? now with their heads bowed just out of respect but if you felt like God showed you something will you just lift your hand up so I kind of know yeah a lot ooh lots okay good all right all right so with that 
focus on the Lord. We're going to ask another question. Holy Spirit, when that happened, what did I believe about me that was a lie? And again, just out of respect, heads bowed. How many would say God showed me something right there? You just lift your hand? Yeah, okay, good, good. All right, and the next question. Holy Spirit, when that happened, what did I believe about God that was a lie? Again, just out of respect, keeping our heads bowed. How many would say, okay, felt like God showed me something there? Oh, good. Want to take everybody with us? Here's the next question. Holy Spirit, how did I become my own source when that happened? What defense mechanism, what did I do when that happened? What did I change about me when that happened? by the way, tears are okay. Sometimes that's how the pain comes out. Sometimes that's how the the healing gets in. Heads bowed. Again, how many would say, okay, God showed me something there? Oh yeah, okay. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. We're just going to pray a prayer of repentance. But remember, repentance doesn't mean we did something wrong. It just means we've been thinking the wrong way. So I don't want any guilt, shame, or condemnation because we use the word repentance. That's that's not, we're not repenting of sin necessarily. We're just saying, hey, we, we we we've been thinking wrong. And so I want everybody just repeat after me, just everybody. God, in Jesus' name. I repent. I repent for the lie that I believed about myself. I repent for the lies that I believed about God. And I repent for the way I became my own source. I did it to protect myself. But God, that wasn't your way. And God, now I want your way. And I want your healing in Jesus' name. And now with your heads bowed again, we have just a couple more questions. These are the fun ones. Heads bowed, focused just on God. 
I'm going to ask this question. God, what is the truth that you want me to know about me? Again, with their heads bowed, how many say, God showed me some truth? That's <laughs> so cool. All right, one more question. Again, just focusing on God. God, what is the truth that you want me to know about you? Again, heads bowed out of respect, but how many say God's speaking to me something else about him? That's so good. So I'm going to lead you in another prayer. You can just repeat after me, or you can use your own words, but it'd be something like this. Father, in Jesus' name, I receive your truth. Let it be branded in my soul. I choose your truth. The next time that I see something that tries to reinforce that lie, I'm going to choose your truth. Your truth about you and your truth about me. And God, I thank you for your truth and I thank you for every person in this room and I pray that your truth would be sealed in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit and God, that we would walk in your truth and we would walk in your freedom and we would walk in your light in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give God one big praise?